Coming up on Let's Clear the Air. If the Inflation Reduction Act methane emissions reduction plan had been in place, but just the emissions we detected and the repairs had been affected on those emissions we detected, we would have mitigated about $2 billion worth of fees in that short time. And again, that's just scratching the surface. Welcome to the Let's Clear the Air Energy Podcast. Conversations focused on how some of the world's top energy leaders are innovating to deliver clean, affordable, and reliable energy for the future. Your hosts are energy and climate expert, Dr. Andrew Parker, and midstream industry veteran, Adam Murray. Now, here are Andrew and Adam. Welcome back to the Let's Clear the Air Energy Podcast. I'm Andrew Parker here with Adam Murray. Thanks for joining us on today's episode. We're going to be talking about methane monitoring. It's a topic that in the energy industry we, we can't get away from, but it's also a topic that is critically important to the global conversation around energy and climate and in the environment. And we felt like it was important to highlight some of the positive that is coming from uh, all of the efforts that the industry is going through right now to create a better energy, better energy future. We are pleased to welcome two leaders from Seek Ops, a methane sensor technology company based in Austin, Texas. Uh, Ian Cooper is the CEO and Paul Curry is the vice president of business development. Paul and Ian, it's great to have you. Welcome to the Let's Clear the Air uh, Energy Podcast. Thanks, Adam. Great to be here. Yep. Thanks for the opportunity to chat. All right, fellas, let's clear the air. You guys are music uh, music aficionados, from what I understand. Trying to think of two bands to make you pick from, but let's go with Metallica or Guns N' Roses. Who are we going to go with? Yeah, Metallica, if it's a long drive, uh, slash for his guitar tone always. <laughs> Absolutely. I have to agree with uh, yeah. I have to agree with Ian. Uh, I think for uh, for sheer artistry, uh, definitely Slash has got it. But overall, uh, just uh, song craftsmanship, etc. I think I've got to go with uh, Metallica because uh, because uh, Axel's uh, voice after a while just really tends to great. <laughs> the E chords for Metallica are what do it for me, definitely. <laughs> well, hey guys, let's. Ian, let's start with you, but Paul, please feel free to jump in. I want to, um, I want you guys first to explain to listeners who might not be, you know, very familiar with, with you guys and, and the challenge of methane emissions that the midstream and energy industry uh, is having. So, you know, how is your, you know, seek ops and your technology helping companies meet uh, this methane reduction challenge? I mean, I guess there's three elements to uh, the methane challenge. One is detecting, another is localizing where any leaks come from, and then the third is is quantifying. And and to us, the all three are important, but we really differentiate around the quantification. That that and that ultimately helps you triage any repairs that you have. If you know the uh, the largest to the smallest, you can then start to prioritize those leaks. So. Uh, just to give a little bit of background, so we perform uh, methane emissions using unmanned aerial systems. So again, no scope one emissions, no direct emissions ourselves when we perform those uh, surveys using a sensor that was spun out of NASA JPL, um, very high accuracy part per billion detection level. So uh, again, we're really looking at very small enhancements. So again, detecting really small leaks 
using that unmanned aerial system. So I think, yeah, this is, sorry, Adam. Um, I just wanted to add, so I think what's happening right now, and I, I have a you know, background in, in midstream as well, is that the, you know, our operators in the U.S. are facing an unprecedented demand for reporting, accurate reporting, frequent reporting, you know, and using your, you know, using current techniques and current technologies just is, you know, the, the man hour required to get all that done using what's what's out there right now and what, what the EPA has only approved so far uh, is going to be cost prohibitive. So, you know, it's incumbent upon uh, new technologies to come forward and, and provide that solution. Um, you know, there's no silver bullet, as we discussed before. Uh, it's going to be a combination of, of uh, different types um, of applications to do that. But we absolutely have to help the operators um, to be able to comply with these uh, new rules coming down the line for the first time. Yeah, we're, we're going to dig into uh, some of the rules and regulations and, and how you all can help with those. But, you know, before we get too far down that path, um, I was reading up on on the technology here and, you know, um, heard that sensors like this one are on the Mars rover, um, you know, that's that's crawling around <laughs> the red planet right now. Um, how did you guys, you know, think to use this technology or, or the or the rover technology in in this SeekOps, you know, business? So I'll, I'll, this is Ian, I'll take this one. Um, so there were two founders, uh, Brendan Smith, Andrew Obery, both working at, at NASA JPL at the time. And um, they, they recognized, again, they were really the brains behind spinning this out. And they recognized that there was a need, again, initially in the utilities side of the business, but also, mm -hmm. again, in the upstream oil and gas side. Um, and they thought, uh, given their interests in flying drones, that uh, the size, weight, power of the sensor could be deployed on a drone. And, and that's really where it spun off from. And you know, they took that idea, ran with it took the company from Pasadena to Austin, where we're now based, um, realized that to deploy it in the oil field, they need to ruggedize it. Uh, people treat equipment really badly in the oil field mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and really put the effort into taking what was an ultra sensitive sensor um, and ruggedizing it for those oil field operations. So the credit really is to, to those two guys. Excellent. Paul, anything to add there? No, um, you could imagine when they were, uh, you know, first developing it at uh, a Jet Propulsion Lab at NASA, um, you know, you, you had a bunch of uh, unknowns. I mean, it's going to sit on the you know, surface of a, of a planet. Who knows what's going to be out there? All kinds of different, you know, it's not like you can go fix it if it goes, if it, uh, if it breaks. So it has to be, you know, uh, hardy and it has to detect, you know, down to the minimum, minimum, minimum levels of methane because we didn't know what kind of, uh, you know, uh, what kind of uh, concentration that's going to be in the air, et cetera. So, um, you know, take that, take that concept of being able to operate literally, you know, on another planet and, uh, and uh, apply it um, to the oil patch. And, um, you know, you got yourself a pretty good piece of kit. That's so cool. Um, I actually didn't know the Mars rover kind of connection. So that's pretty damn neat. I had a two-part question kind of to follow up uh, and I'll ask Paul, I'll ask you the part one first. There's so many different emerging technologies for methane monitoring out there. There and, and you know there's there's the aerial surveys with planes. There's uh, a lot of these fixed continuous or fence line technologies. Um, there's still obviously boots on the ground with a FLIR camera. What 
what why would someone use a drone? What are the applications and advantages to using drone technology? Yeah, it's a great question, Andrew. And, and you're right. There is a you know many different scales of measurement right now, starting from the satellites to the aircraft, drones, and then close in. Um, so it, it's really a matter of, a matter of uh, resolution. When you've got you know satellites are really good for wide wide area surveys, and then you know aircraft are kind of down to the next level, uh, you know kind of closer in. Drones will get you down to that. Um, you know, rather than a whole site, it'll get you down to the equipment group localization. So instead of sending your, your, you know, flare camera crew to go in and just say, okay, this well site or this well pad has got a leak. And that's all the information they're given versus um, it's not just this well site has a leak. It's, you know, tank number three of this three tank battery has a leak. So that's what drones give you is be able to localize on the equipment groups. And then regardless of what uh, standoff technology you use, whether it's satellite, aircraft, or drone, you're still going to need the handheld um, camera crew to go in there and get the actual component leak. So there's always going to be a need for that. Um, you know, fixed sensors, fence line monitors, et cetera, uh, they'll do the same thing. But of course, you know, they're, they're going to miss some emissions. You can't get everything from, uh, from, a, from a fixed sensor because, you know, a methane plume doesn't stay at the same height all the way across from the leak point. So you got to make sure you capture all of it in 3D space. So I said I had two questions, but now I have three because I'm going to ask you a follow up. <laughs> uh, so like in you, you mentioned, you know, the scales, different scales of measurement. How much ground um, can, you know, a Seacops drone cover in a day? And just talk about some of the logistic logistics around um, operating a drone, because I know I mean, it, it's not like you can't just throw a drone up in the air and fly it around the field. I mean, there, there are some, you know, pretty detailed uh, logistical considerations um, that you guys have to, to work with. So uh, talk a little bit about, about that piece, and then I'll, I, I promise I'll ask my third and final question. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly a lot more portable and accessible than having, uh, you know, setting up an aircraft to go and fly and, and dealing with airspace uh, requirements, et cetera. The nice thing about drones is you're flying at pretty much well below, uh, you know, any kind of airspace interference uh, requirements. For example, you know, we've flown in suburban Arlington, you know, Fort Worth, mm -hmm. uh, where we didn't have to worry about DFW Airport or Carls Carswell Airspace. It was no problem to do those surveys. Um, the way that we, you know, serve our operators, uh, not just in the U.S., but worldwide, is that we will train an existing drone company that's flying, um, we, we fly a pretty common model drone. You know, obviously it's the sensor that's what's unique to Seacops, but the drone is an off the shelf drone. So, um, you know, and the models that we use, it's about 70% of the market worldwide. So we can always find a company that's flying drones. They're already doing some kind of visual, uh, either a, a detailed visual inspection type uh, work or, um, you know, some other basic emissions work and they, you know, want to step up their game and, or we have a customer in that country or that region that wants to have, you know, uh, more capability on their emissions quantification. And so we can train those, um, you know, those companies to fly our sensor on their drone and it's, it's easily deployable. And again, you, you can do it onshore, you can do it offshore. Uh, it's a lot less uh, of a, of an ask than to worry about setting up a, you know, a satellite flyby or, a, or an aircraft um, uh, and, and, and things of that nature. So um, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, a couple of, a couple of folks in a truck, 
that just go out to the site and do their thing. And, and you know, the nice thing is also that we don't we don't interrupt any of the current operations on site. So a lot of the site supervisors like that, so don't have to worry about like, you don't have to stop work, don't have to do this, don't do that. So we don't have to worry about that. We, we fly pretty far away from the equipment. We don't overfly anything. So we stay out of people's way and we stay out of the hazardous areas. Nice. So, so yep. Yeah, Paul, I'd like to build on that a little bit as well. Uh, I think one of the things we, we've certainly seen is, as you mentioned, the three-dimensionality. Uh, again, I, I didn't give it out, out but uh, before I even joined the oil patch, I, I did a PhD in meteorology. So uh, uh, dynamical meteorology that really understands the flow and the complexity of wind flow in the neighborhood of uh, equipment. And uh, if, if you were to trace methane emissions from any source, the, uh, the swirls and eddies that form there are really difficult to pinpoint. And uh, you would need a, a very high density of fixed sensors to cover anything there. So the freedom that a drone gives you in that environment, particularly as Paul highlighted, downwind, so you're not overflying equipment or personnel, so you can be totally safe, but still pick up the complete plume, is, is a real advantage and, and ease that you get over the other um, technologies. That's a fantastic segue to my third uh, part of the question, and it's going to be directed to you, Ian, is, you know, to that to that comment, there's a lot of technologies out there and a lot of uh, a lot of talk about capabilities and a lot of talk about, you know, what they could do and not a lot of talk about limitations. And ultimately, there is no one stop technology that that can solve everything. So maybe talk a little bit about maybe some of the myths and misconceptions about methane detection and the technologies and, uh, you know, really there's, there's no silver bullet, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I do call them the three M's, the myths, misconceptions, misunderstandings of, uh, of some of the technologies out there. And I think whilst we believe, you know, our technology certainly can surpass some of the capabilities of the other technologies, it's all about enhancing what other technologies are also in place, whether that's, again, a regular OGI crew, whether that's a satellite pass, or whether it's a, whether it's a, a manned aircraft that's done a large area survey. Um, to us, it all comes down to science and scientific understanding in the end. You know, our, our motto within the company is science first. We believe uh, if we can get that detailed understanding of the dynamics of the wind flows, the temperature profiles, the nature of the leaks, from the equipment themselves, the the inherent risk from a tank battery or a separator or a wellhead, that gives us a real insight into what technologies are most appropriate and how would you build a complementary workflow to those other technologies. So SeekOps is a fairly new, fairly new company, um, but in the short you know amount of time you've been doing business, have you guys gone through and quantified? Uh, the differences that you guys are making, whether it's in 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 particular basins or nationwide or worldwide. So I'll let Paul add to this, but uh, I mean, certainly we ended up last year commercial on all six major continents. I, I think for a company our size, Fantastic. that was quite achievement. Um, we won the oil. That's cool. Thank you, the oil and gas startup of the year at Adipec, as well for I think the efforts we've made on decarbonization. But we've barely scratched the surface. You know, one of the thought experiments we did was our technology was deemed commercial in October 2021. We figured if the Inflation Reduction Act methane emissions reduction plan had been in place, but just the emissions we detected and the repairs had been affected on those emissions we detected, 
we would have mitigated about $2 billion worth of fees in that short time. And again, that's just mm -hmm. scratching the surface. Wow. So uh, again, there's a lot to be done at this point. And, uh, you know, I think uh, if we were to do a cumulative emissions, it, it's about 3 million tons of emissions we've seen just during that commercialization period. Incredible. Paul and Ian, uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Let's Clear the Air, a public education campaign of GPA Midstream Association and GPSA Midstream Suppliers. The midstream industry helps power the lives of 330 million Americans by working around the clock to provide reliable energy, counteract climate change, and strengthen our country's economy. Let's Clear the Air is about promoting a constructive dialogue on the future of energy. Learn more and join the conversation at letscleartheairnow.org. Now, back to Andrew and Adam. Well, not a lot of our episodes are out yet, um, but for those that have been following along, we've talked a lot about um, new technology, innovation, um, the next generation of employees that are coming into the, the midstream oil and gas space. Um, this, this technology certainly qualifies as, uh, as something new and innovative. Um, first off, are you guys hiring for those that might be listening, but also, um, you know, what, uh, what other industries are you guys getting involved with that might not necessarily be in the energy business? Sure. Yeah, this is Paul. I'll take this one. So, um, you know, we're always looking to, um, uh, obviously add to our talent, you know, uh, I think, uh, you know, our employees uh, enjoy uh, working on something like like it's making a difference. You know, it's not just absolutely, uh, yeah, uh, just a, something. Uh, it, you know, you can you can point to the fact that you're uh, helping to make a difference and and you know changing the ways uh, that we're operating the oil patch for the better. Um, you know, at the same time, obviously, we have to be careful not to grow too quickly. Um, so we we stay within our means. But but yeah, I encourage anybody to, to uh, check out our website and uh, and see what openings we have at any given time. And and yeah, would love to. I uh, would love to hear from you. Um, as far as the other um, the other uh, applications we have, you know, we've been we've been looking at different verticals. Um, uh, you know, our, the, our unique way to be able to tell uh, emissions, um, actual process emissions of methane from background um, is a big advantage. Uh, I'll probably let uh, Ian, talk, Ian talk some more about that one. Yeah, we, uh, we have two other verticals that we've targeted. Uh, the first is the, the biogas, biomethane market. So uh, the, 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 the dairy livestock farms that have been looking to really monetize the methane from the waste they produce and uh, and in some circumstances upgrade that, put that into the pipeline. That size of facility really lends itself very nicely to unmanned aerial systems. Uh, you know, the first time we went out to a, a biogas farm, we were, we were worried, would, you, would the drones spook the cows? Um, and uh, the, that was a big concern of the farmers. And uh, to their credit, you know, cows just go back to eating. Um, and so uh, we felt that there's a very good application there for again, that component level uh, identification. And of course, emissions from a biogas facility, you know, that asset integrity is really important to them from a carbon crediting perspective. So yeah. they really want to repair as soon as possible. So we, uh, we've done a number of facilities in North America and Europe now, and you know, because it's part of a dedicated uh, leak detection repair program, 
I, I think our statistics are we've seen an 84% decrease of emissions in the biogas facilities that we've flown, which, uh, wow. again, is a testament to the effort that that community is putting into ensuring that their, their value chain is leak free. Um, and then the third vertical is, is landfill. And uh, I, I think you know, you've seen with some of the recent um, you know, pronouncements from companies like Waste Management, where they, they want to have essentially circular economy and power their facilities with the gas they produce, as well as monetize it. They're starting to look at putting upgrading and enhancing the number of upgrading systems they're putting on landfill sites. But the first thing to do is, is just see what are the size of emissions from those sites as well. And so we've been involved in baselining emissions as well as looking at the emissions from those upgrading facilities. How does how does your deployment break down within oil and gas? Is, is most of your customer base? Because to me, it seems like this is a great solution for midstream companies trying to survey pipelines. And, and so how does, how does your deployment break down upstream, midstream, downstream? It's majority of our work right now is upstream, um, you know, onshore and offshore. Um, we're we're uh, we, we're a really good fit for for offshore platforms because there's very few of the uh, airborne technologies that can survey over water. Um, the reflectivity off the uh, off the water gives them issues on reading. So uh, the fact that we're a sniffer device and not really uh, uh, you know an, an active pinging type laser. Um, is uh, gives, gives us more suited to those sort of applications. We do a lot of midstream uh, compressor stations, et cetera. It's, it's, um, but to be honest, you know, on the pipeline side, we're not doing a lot right now. We, we did a study with uh, FEMSA and GTI uh, just to prove the feasibility of it. But, um, you know, we're, we're currently looking for a, a model of drone that is suitable for beyond visual line of sight flying, because that's what you really need for those long stretches of pipeline. So, you know, we can do a, you know, two to three mile step out or interconnect, that's fine. But when you're talking about, you know, 10, 20, 30, 100 mile pipeline, we're, we're, you know, we're probably not the right fit for that application as of today, but we can see that coming down the line. And then on downstream, um, you know, we're involved in the uh, Chenier uh, QMRV program, which is uh, their um, initiative to certify for low emissions, their entire value chain from upstream to midstream down to the LNG plant. So we've been doing that uh, as well. So um, haven't done really much around petrochem refineries, but certainly LNG plants, we're, we're doing that work. We got to get Fiji on this podcast from Shunir. Yeah. Oh my He'll gosh, tell you all that, about that program is sure. just amazing. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So you you said, you, you talked about how like, you're one of the few technologies because you're a sniffer uh, that works over water, which jogged a question I probably should have asked earlier in this podcast. But I'm going to ask it now uh, for for either Ian or, or you, Paul. How do you how do you performance test and vet your technologies, right? And and I'm thinking, you, I'm assuming you guys participate in MeTech studies. Um, tell tell the listeners a little bit about you know how you how you performance test your technologies uh, for for field applications. Sure, I'll I'll take that one. Um... There's a number of things that we do. The, the, the first is independent validation. So that's academia. We've, we've participated in MeTech, in, in the Stanford University tests. Um, you know, we like that independence. Uh, we feel proud that we can stand behind our numbers with that. Um, we actually have a two-acre plot of land here where we've built out our own controlled release facility so that we can mimic oil field operations and biogas and, and actually landfill operations we can we can do all the terrain following that's here cool. as well to to mimic that and um that's been extremely useful for us both from a, a 
test and training of the, the drone pilots to refine their practices, but also to improve our R&D and the uncertainty in the measurement. You know, it, it, it's one thing having a measurement, it's one also quoting the uncertainty. And we're starting to see the operators wanting to ask those kind of questions about the, the quality of the measurements, which is great. Um, uh, and then the third is operator-directed controlled releases. So we've done a number both um, both in the UK and in and in Western Europe with specific operators where they've done controlled release tests to essentially validate for their purposes. Um, we are part of an upcoming program for controlled release offshore. As you can imagine, offshore controlled releases are a little trickier to organize, particularly where operators don't necessarily want to stop production to do the uh, the controlled release, but. Um, I was on the National Petroleum Council panel recently, and that was uh, identified as, as one of the weaknesses across all of this technology base is that there hasn't really been an offshore controlled release study done yet. Interesting. So <clears throat> you talked about the technology a little bit and the various different applications. Um, you know, certainly methane has the target on its back. Um, right now uh, with with the Inflation Reduction Act and various other uh, regulations. But are you developing any other type of sensors that might be relevant to the industry, CO2 or other? Yes, we have a, a prototype CO2 sensor that we're probably looking to commercialize next year. I want to give it a long field test. Um, it's uh, It looks, feels, flies exactly the same as the methane sensor. Uh, eventually, it will be coupled with the methane sensor, so you'll have a dual methane CO2. We're validating them independently right now. Um, and of course, with CO2, the, uh, the application space is even broader uh, as well. If, you, uh, if one were to execute a project with you guys, um, are, you talked about the results a little bit. Are they auditable? Are they um, you know, um, uh, submittable for the carbon credits or for the for the tax credits that that one would need to to do one of these projects yeah adam this is paul um they are um we've actually been approved for uh one already and two uh that should be approved through this this month um for example in alberta for they have a program called the alt Fent program where you can submit new technologies for regulatory reporting mm -hmm. so we've gotten approval there uh, we filed for a colorado aim that's their program uh, we expect to have that approval literally uh, any week now um, and uh, once the epa uh, you know revises their um, amel uh, uh, procedure um, we uh, we fully intend to submit for that um, we're also doing um, so, uh, certified gas projects uh, for MIQ certification. So, you know, we're yeah. we're a vetted technology for MIQ. Um, so we're, we've got a couple of different customers in that space right now. We're um, having a, you know, a certified low emission um, operation is obviously um, of great value uh, to those uh, those customers. And then, um, you know, as far as reporting to OGMP 2.0, you know, the global uh, voluntary standard, which I think it's it's going to become one of those voluntold standards instead of just voluntary. Um, you know, we are uh, a key technology that's enabling level four and level five um, certification for those operators. And it's it's interesting to see that that for the first time, some U.S. independents have actually stepped up and signed up for that standard as well now. Yeah, yeah. So the level four is the current kind of gold standard, and I understand that 
folks are working to move to level five, just for those out there listening. Um, right. You, you brought up a good point. Um, you know, I think when you guys got started and certainly, you know, when, when I got started in this aspect of the business as well, it was more of a voluntary, um, you know, deal, right? We, you, the folks that were doing it were good stewards of the industry and, and doing that mandate, you know, for business. But have you seen a change since these regulations have taken place? And have you had to adjust your technology or adjust the way you go about business to, to meet the needs of those regulations? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been interesting. Um, uh, you know, initially, it was more of a nice to have maybe even viewed as a belt and suspenders approach. Um, but as you know, as as more operators see, you know, they, they see the, the, the bow wave kind of coming, um, that this is going to be, you know, first, it was nice to have now it's going to be an expectation if you really want to, um, you know, stay in this space and, and, you know, honestly, just be a good citizen, etc. So, um, uh, there's more demand for that. There's uh, more recognition that, you know, I, I, I think I don't have really any big leaks, but I don't really know for sure because I haven't really measured it yet. Um, there's more of that going on as well. And then I'll, I'll defer to Ian. I think he's got um, some more flavor to add here. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, when I joined the company two, two and a half years ago, it was all about kind of EPA and where the regulations were heading. And now there's, you know, five or six different business drivers. There's the gas certification, there's the IRA. There's the shareholders demanding transparent ESG reporting, and they all have different weightings with different operators. And it's been interesting to see the evolution and, and the, the spectrum of maturity of adoption across the operator base on, on a global basis. Again, I think that's and that's going to continue to evolve as well. So it, while it's added more complexity to it, I think it's also added more opportunity. Hey, Ian. You and I have interesting, similar backgrounds, right? Dyna you, you said your PhD is in dynamic meteorology. My PhD is in oceanography. Um, I'm curious, you know, how that academic background has kind of helped you in your energy career, right? Because for me, I know that I kind of see both sides of the equation. I understand you know, the conversation we're having about climate and the science pretty well. Mm -hmm. And I understand why we're doing, you know, being asked to be good stewards of the environment with methane monitoring. So how has that background kind of worked to your benefit in, in your current role? I mean, certainly, you know, it, it, I, I felt like I've come full circle. You know, it's uh, it's detailed analysis of near surface wind flows. Um, I think what the, the rest of my career has done up to that is given me appreciation of the, the practical application of technology. What's really needed to take a technology that may have come out of academic or institution or a, a government lab and what's take, what it really takes to, to deploy that in the field in real operations. And uh, um, I think the other thing is the, the importance of academic validation uh, as well still. You know, that, that's an important checkpoint I think for any new technology, and, and again, why we have that kind of science first mantra, it, it, it's so important that you know we understand the, the details of the whole operation and the context of the operation. Uh, you know, what are the operators doing at that time when we take a measurement? Because you know, unfortunately, we still we're not a continuous measurement; we're still a discrete measurement. Mm -hmm. And so, it's important to understand what's going on at that time, as that adds real value to our interpretation. All right, Adam. I think uh, producer Russ is. Uh... Is telling us it's getting close to wrap up. So <laughs> I got two final out? questions for you guys. Yeah. Um, 
you know, part of this podcast is bringing in folks, you know, hopefully having a broad enough conversation and a, a deep enough conversation where people can understand what we're talking about. So, you know, what would you guys <clears throat> like people to know about the commitment to specifically the oil and gas industry is doing to reduce methane emissions? I'll let Paul go first and then I'll, I guess, wrap up. Yeah, thanks, Ian. Um, you know, I I think it, we really don't do a good job of advertising, you know, how hard we work and how serious we are about uh, identifying and reducing emissions. I mean, nobody goes out, you know, you don't have the, the Hollywood stereotype of the old, you know, oil guy out there just drilling away, polluting everything. I mean, that's that's nothing like it's, you know, reality. Um, I, I'm fairly new to the oil patch. I've only been in it for about 22 years. I was 57. Um, not like some of the old hands, but, uh, you know, I, I've seen a significant shift in, in attitudes and in, um, you know, active projects and efforts uh, to minimize emissions, even before the last, you know, most recent wave of, of kind of ESG driven um, projects that you've seen. So, yeah. um, and, you know, we talk about this at GPAA, at, at SGA, NGA, that we don't do a good job of advertising uh, what we do. So, um, you know, efforts like One Future Coalition, like Let's Clear the Air, um, you know, all this is very, very important to understand and, and, and to, to make the public understand what we're really up to as an industry. And I think we really need to stop being so shy about it. Excellent. Yeah, no, I, I'd like to add to that. You know, I, I spent 12 years running Schlumberger's Venture Capital Group and, you know, the oil companies, the service companies, they're investing real dollars here and they're investing in startup technologies like us. And, and that goes a little unseen, I think, to the, the wider audiences. What's going on on the technology investment side, um, not just the operational deployment side? And, and that, you know, that is serious, significant dollars out of their R&D budgets. And, um, you know, that, that shows a commitment. And we're also asking the operators to do something here that is, is, is pretty unprecedented. You, you know, usually it's 10 years to commercialize a technology from concept to commercial acceptance. Most of us, DCOPs, the fixed sensor company, the satellite companies, haven't been around 10 years, yet we're asking them to adopt these technologies now because they have this unprecedented need to adopt them. Right. Great point. Great point. Well, so to that, to that question or to that time frame that you put out there, let's just say it's three years from now. Um, you're back on this show and you guys are happy. What has happened in that three years in the energy business that would make you happy? I think, you know, beyond the obvious commercial upside, <laughs> I think just a a, um, uh, a broader adoption of um, of new technologies, a broader understanding of you know the emissions footprints um, on the operational side uh, of the of the oil patch, and a, and a dedication and willingness to, to do something about it rather than just you know uh, check a box somewhere or just you know pay lip service, uh, which I mean I, I'm saying that's that's where I see it headed. Um, all our conversations with our customers now, you know, current or, or new ones um, uh, are all headed that way, where, as Ian said, you know, th this is not just, well, we'll spend leftover budget this year on this kind of stuff. It's, it's yeah. you know, these are serious budgets being put together. None of this is, is cheap to implement, and it's going um, worldwide. And I fully expect, uh, you know, U.S. companies to lead the way here 
Um, I think we've set a great precedent. I think the the brain power available, you know, here to to kind of set an example for the rest of the world is is phenomenal. And I think we just, you know, we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to the planet to uh, to really make sure it's available. I, I, I would add to that by saying succinctly that uh, the operators have had three years worth of data that they can plot to show they're well on their path to the net zero trajectory. Yep. Great point. Yep. Great point. Ian, Paul, uh, I learned a lot uh, today. Uh, appreciate the two of you taking time from the day to, to talk to us about seek ops and, and methane monitoring and um, Hopefully we'll have you back on again soon and uh, really appreciate your time today. No, appreciate it. Always appreciate anyone interested in this space. It's uh, it's one we can really make an impact in. Yeah, for sure. Take care guys. Thank you. Thanks everybody. Thanks. Thanks Adam. Bye. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Andrew, uh, certainly an interesting conversation. What are your takeaways? Oh man. I learned a lot about, um, methane monitoring by drone. Um, I think the standout part for me is the comments about offshore monitoring. Absolutely. Like when I think methane monitoring, I'm so onshore focused, you totally forget about the offshore world. And so it was really cool to hear the role that they're playing in that in that space. Completely. Yeah. It's a, a large part of our industry exists in the water or over yeah. water. <laughs> no um, doubt. Also, just want to reiterate to the our listeners, you know, um, the energy business covers so many more industries than just oil and gas. You know, you're not just working with uh, pump jacks and, and various different pieces of rotating equipment. This is a NASA developed piece of technology. Um, like the guys said, it, it allows you to work with a vision, with a mission, with a purpose and uh, I think Seek Ops has a great purpose uh, and is and is actively solving issues in our industry. So, so with that, as always, we'd like to hear from our guests. Any suggestions, questions, comments? Um, you can certainly connect with Andrew and I on LinkedIn. And thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time on Let's Clear the Air. Thank you for listening to the Let's Clear the Air Energy Podcast with Adam Murray and Dr. Andrew Parker. If you like what you have heard, subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast app. You can email us with questions or comments to Let's Clear the Air Energy Podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.